Welcome to the Dynasty Movement Podcast. I'm Gosev Jr., your host for this episode. Find a link to join the movement on our Twitter at Dynasty underscore Discord. You can find me on Twitter at Eric underscore DRZ and in this Discord as Ghosts of June. If you like the episode, please remember to give us a five-star rating on whatever platform you're listening to your podcast on. Can you tell us a bit about yourself and, and what your niche is in uh, fantasy football and where we might find your work? Sure. So my fun uh, dad joke that I say now is uh, if you can't find me on your timeline, you can find me at Stevie Smalls uh, with three L's. I'm uh, with FTN. You know, I do Injury stuff, fantasy, uh, getting into the betting world. This all was very new to me. Redownload my Twitter, you know, in October uh, as a medical student forced to move home back with, uh, you know, dad and mom. And everything happened a little bit fast, but, you know, football has always been my life and a diehard Giants fan, if, as I've kind of alluded to. And for those that follow me are well aware of so that's a little bit you know how i uh, start out it's a very non-conventional uh way to get into this industry but i love it and the experience these past seven eight months has been fantastic yeah talk about somebody who really exploded onto the scene <laughs> i have to imagine the amount of unique new people that have interacted with you in the last eight months is probably the most you've had in any eight month time frame is that a fair guess yeah, I like still and I joke around, I like have whiplash from whatever, you know, the hell happened the past uh, couple months, as most of us do uh, with the coronavirus, the way this pandemic like hit everyone. And I think there was just so much change and so many things that were different from our normal lives that, you know, still now everything is starting to settle. And I'm like, oh, holy crap, I have... Uh, not 200 followers on Twitter, but quite a few more. So uh, it all happened very, very fast. <laughs> well, since you mentioned the three L's, could you tell everybody what the three L's stand for? Yes, because this is my favorite thing ever. Um, so my the three L's in my handle uh, stand for Brady's three losses. He has two from my New York Giants, one from my Nick Foles, who I went to college with at my alma mater at the University of Arizona. So I, I hold those L's uh, very near and dear to my heart. And now, of course, uh, I'm learning. I think this is the first year, finally, I'm like, holy crap. Tom Brady is like, this is history book stuff. This is this is stuff that not everyone will ever get to experience in their life. So I'm learning to appreciate him um, and his talent and for what he is. But for years, obviously, he was not my best friend. Yeah, no, hey, I love it. I love the three L's. I love the Nick Foles reference. Uh, really quick personal note. Uh, for a short period of time, I sat in like maybe like a 200-person church in the pew behind Mike Holmgren and Doug Peterson, because he was the backup quarterback for the Packers, and they both went to this small Baptist so church. Cool. So it's like, yeah, little did I know that they would eventually, uh, they'd both be Super Bowl winning coaches. That was a, a kind of a cool little thing. It was this no-name small little church. It was kind of cool. Um, so as we dive into- It's crazy how that stuff happens. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, um, 
do you want to do you care to open uh, a white claw as we dive into the rest here of course let me grab another one because this one's uh just about finished you know i had recordings had to push things back because family life got hectic so i actually need one right now and we'll have to open one in honor of this i'm so happy that you guys are having me on i stopped i was able to do so we'll open a white claw and let's get started yeah yeah all right love it so uh, you mentioned you're in med medical school and actually we had a few questions on that so i wanted to maybe go into that a little bit uh what year are you in med school is this going to be the first so i am doing a five-year md this is technically my first yes so i did uh you know i essentially got another bachelor's which i just finished i was going to school in the caribbean basically uh got my mat didn't finish my master's but was getting my undergrad in speech language and hearing science aside it was not my jam came home as most people my age uh felt like they were forced into what they thought they wanted to do didn't know what they wanted to do started working in the er uh led me to the pa route wasn't totally into it then ended up uh looking into applying to med school they told me my you know my uh credits were expiring and i wasn't taking english 101 again so uh, my primary care doctor was like, just go to the Caribbean, get it done, and get it over with. So I ended up in the Caribbean and uh, here we are year two, but technically year one. Cool, cool. So definitely you'd uh, classify yourself as a non-traditional route student for sure. Very. My whole life is non-traditional. You don't, you don't get born and raised in Connecticut, uh, go to college in Arizona, then decide to go to med school after changing your career path three times in the Caribbean, and then now you're talking about football every day. <laughs> Very cool. Um, what what would you say was the thing that drew you into medicine as a field? If there's like something that stands out for you? Sure. Uh, I had a lot of health issues myself growing up, and then you know my parents and a lot of my family, uh, even the ones that are in the military, are somehow. Uh, into medicine, medical doctor, nurse, whatever it is. Uh, both my parents, my dad's a physical therapist. My mom has been a nurse at the same hospital for 35 plus years since she was a nursing student uh, leaving uh, Boston College. And they always loved what they did. And that's something I always wanted. I never heard my parents one time growing up complain about their job they were happy to go to work uh you know obviously there's bad days but they loved what they did and that's something i always wanted and i really fell in love with medicine once i was in the er very cool wow um do you have a plan of an area that you want to specialize in medicine like sports medicine or something related so I low-key kind of hate bones, which is probably shocking to most people because uh, you would expect me to be like, I love orthopedics. I actually really am not a fan of bones. I do love emergency medicine very much so. Those that do follow me know I'm a little bit of a uh, spaz. I'm up very late. It's very much uh, my forte, but I'm leaning a little bit uh, towards general medicine, possibly combining my two loves and Maybe if I could be an NFL team physician, that would be very cool. That would be an awesome uh, path there. But uh, we'll see how it goes. Uh, Going to take it day by day. Awesome. Like, have you watched any house just to prepare for what doesn't ever ha actually happen? 
yeah. I love how my dad and I, you know, we binge watch that. I've obviously watched Grey's Anatomy, Anatomy 3,000 times. And then, you know, my parents joke around. They thought I was going to, when I took the job in the ER, I guess <laughs> they told me later on, uh, she's 100% not going to last more than like 24 hours there. I did last longer, ended up being the chief medical scribe, did a bunch of uh, projects with my with my team. I love the ER. so uh, But I have obviously binge watched all those. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Out of all the things, though, if you want to be like House, definitely, you know, don't addic- good, don't get addicted to crack or anything. All the rest right. of the stuff. I would, definitely I would hope that I have a, a better bedside manner uh, than House did, of course. Unless they're an Eagles fan. All right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to have to ask what your, you know, your football preference is before we proceed. Well, I'm a Wisconsin guy, so that kind of speaks for itself. But there's a little twist. So I grew up idolizing Dan Marino, just like Dan Marino to me was the coolest ever. And partially it was because, you know, when I'd look in like the little, when I was younger, you know, you're watching the little highlight videos that maybe my dad had from like Sports Illustrated and that 84 season as a kid, I'm just like, this guy is amazing. So I grew up loving him, even though I was Green Bay area kid. Um, But then eventually, like it does to everybody, the Packers won out. So I'm a big Packers fan. Mad respect for the way that the Giants run their organization. Uh, I know that they've taken some heat lately. Like a lot of people are not maybe fans of some of the picks they've made. There's been, you know, dissing. But overall, I liked a lot of Coughlin's um, hard-nosed mentality. Some of those defenses were just amazing. And no diss to Eli, but when the every other year that he was actually good, that team was really, really dangerous. Yeah, for sure. And it's funny because I actually have a quite a special place in my heart for the Packers. Somehow I do this thing where I end up dating Packers fans. Like, I, I don't know if it's called having a type, but uh, basically I've, I grew up, my high school boyfriend was a Packers fan, college boyfriend was a Packers fan, boyfriend uh, post-college was a Packers fan. So uh, the Packers are still very near and dear to my heart. Very excited when we got, you know, Blake Martinez. But, you know, my mom also, even though we're huge Giants fans, was, is a big Aaron Rodgers fan. But So I have a lot of respect for the organization as well. Maybe less uh, as of recent, but I, you know, being born and raised at the time I was with the Giants, the way that they were is, I mean, you can't ask for more. And obviously the younger generations don't appreciate that as much. And I wish they would, because they'd know why uh, we'd like to stick with Daniel Jones and we're, we're rooting for culture. But I, I understand if you didn't experience those years, why it can be confusing. Yeah, and you know, since I've got the like the I guess you could call it like the sec- second team vibe for the Dolphins, I have a special appreciation for preserving the '72 Dolphins perfection as the only one. You know, so that that Giants team will actually always be one of my favorite teams of all time. That wasn't actually my team, but just love what they did. Um, so a couple questions uh, on the medical side, and then we'll move on to some other things yeah. really quickly. Um, so. Uh, do you have any like pre fears about being a resident <laughs> at some point? Oh yeah, absolutely. I think also, uh, <laughs> I definitely do. And, you know, I watched it from being a, a medical scribe and it's not, I mean, you are the lowest of the low when it comes to being a medical student or a resident in the hospital. And 
I do definitely, but I, I also hold my own. And I think I spent a lot of time outside of it. It's giving me, I, I don't like to tap my, I, you know, it's giving me a little bit of an advantage, at least in my studies. So I, I feel like I'm in a good place. It's what I love to do. So hopefully, but yeah, I'm scared as hell. At least I'm used to the no sleep thing. I think at least that gives me a little bit of an up. <laughs> I think, you know, having that ER experience is going to give you like a little bit of cred. Like, like if you were an officer in the military, but actually had time being enlisted before you were like, it automatically gives you cred with the people you're with. I think having that is an awesome thing to, to use, to go into there. Cause you're not somebody that just has it in the books and that's it, you know? Yeah. And I'm, I'm learning a lot. You know, it's funny. Uh, the deeper I get into this, I really am learning how much it put me on advantage and uh, something my uncle uh, is retired from the army, but he is an ER doc now. And something you always tell me is, you know, you'll have the advantage because you've seen what the patients look like. So, you know, when we start talking about pathology, I'm already a little bit head up because I've seen these patients before. I know what COPD looks like. Um, I already know the antibiotics, that sort of thing, because I also spent years in pediatrics, whole thing. So uh, I have years of experience. I spent my time. I wanted to gain the experience before I dove right in. Awesome. No, that's, I think that will definitely give you uh, I think that if nothing else, it might save you half an hour of sleep here or there too, you know. So. There we go. Exactly. <laughs> so the tra- a transition question. Um, how do you feel about how you're going to have to juggle fantasy football and med school? And do you think that maybe one side or the other is going to suffer because you're going to kind of have to maintain two obsessions at the same time? Yeah, for sure. And I think that, you know, this is something I've always said. Um, a life goal is to obviously be a doctor. A dream goal, if you could tell me that I can talk football the rest of my life. It's my love, my first love, my true love, always my love, always will be. Um, and if I had to, if the opportunities came at me fast enough, I think that I would be okay with, you know, I've spoken to my dean before. And if, if needed, uh, you know, I never like to do things if I'm not doing 100%. So if I need to take the time off, I will. Uh, that's a good mentality to have. You know, you got to put your dream first. And if mm-hmm. you can fit other things in that you love, then it's just making your life full. But then you don't want to sacrifice. I definitely hear you there. Um, mm-hmm. A quick question from our user, Adam. Uh, because because you're very Twitter famous, um, what take have you made on Twitter this off season that has gotten the most criticism from people? <laughs> Everything I tweet. Um, let's see. So probably the when the season ended, uh, I made a remark about Troutman, who I'm very high on. I see him having a fantastic year. People are out on him a little bit too soon. Uh, he's very young, ready to make a breakout. You know, these tight ends, if they don't break out by year three, it's very hard for them to come back. He's obviously way, way uh, behind that line, too. So that got a lot of traction. And then, uh, you know, my Daniel Jones takes, obviously, all as well get a lot of traction. But probably the one that I can think of that uh, caused the most discussion is my choice to sell DK Metcalf at the end of this season. You know, I, I feel very strongly that his value is at the highest that you're going to see it. Um, I, I think moving forward, the direction that the Seahawks are going, 
with their rushing and, you know, the, the weapons that they brought in as rookies, you know, I'm a little skeptical over there. I just see, think we're seeing Metcalf at his highest dynasty value. He could be a redraft king. I'm all in. Um, but I still stand by also my decision to sell him because I, I think I cleaned up a little bit there when I got, when I uh, sent him off. Well, it's all about price too. See, I mm-hmm. bought him this off season, but I paid a probably early 22 first and three seconds. I didn't have to give a second second, a second first. Okay. Interesting. So, so I got two, steal. <laughs> I got two first and um who I got a receiver out of it. Who did I get out of it? Oh my gosh, I can't even think. So I got another receiver in one league and then another one. Uh I got Saquon. Um who is the other one? Maybe Paris Campbell and a second or something crazy. Um, so I definitely, you know, I, I got rid of him for as much as I could. And I think you also, as always, need to uh, read the room. And uh, <laughs> you can, if everyone's high on, uh, uh, you know, Metcalf, I'm going to go ahead and try to get rid of him when I can, especially if you have the depth on your, on your roster. Dang, Saquon Plus, you can't really argue with that. Oh, yeah, definitely not. And I know people that traded, you know, Saquon straight up for uh, Chubb or Mixon or so be it. So to get him plus someone like Campbell, who I'm higher on, and another future value lot. No, that's – no, I – you know what? People can't give you too much crap for that. That's just a good enough – that's a good enough deal. So flip side, instead of criticism – what do you think is like the tweet that you sent out that maybe got you the most support or was the best received? Oh, that's a good one. Um, you know, let's think. I think everyone has been very supportive of me as a female and the way that I support everyone else. I think when I also uh, got brought on by FTN, that was a big one for me. Um, and it, that's kind of when I realized that, you know, this isn't just tweeting and yelling about the Giants. People are starting to catch on and uh, they like resonating with you and listening to you. So I think uh, from that point moving forward, uh, it's when I started, you know, the whiplash starts slowing down and I realized that things were getting a little more serious. And I realized that, wow, people want to listen to you you know I'm not the most confident person as much as my loud obnoxious personality might mislead people so uh it takes a lot for me to have confidence so that instilled a lot in me and uh was very important for my journey moving forward well I love it and I can I can definitely relate I'm one of those guys that sometimes I stand on a bad take as long as I can too just because I feel like I need to project that confidence even if I don't have it you know sometimes it's just like you you got to have a couple claws and then just yell exactly and it's something too they always say is like I feel like I'm also I take on this you know, I always take on weight. I carry more, I care more about other people than myself. So I've started to slow down and guess things. Cause I'm like, Holy shit, you're not sleeping. You're not going to the gym. You're barely eating all your drinking is claws. And, uh, you're, you care more about everyone else except for yourself. Uh, but you know, and I totally lost my train of thought here because I don't know who's outside my house right now, but it, you get what I'm saying. So it's hard to chant. 
Yeah. So uh, we have a few uh, people that are in our Discord that are, are Scott Fishbowl 11 invitees. One of them, uh, a guy that I think does a great job. He uh, does some uh, dynasty um, work. He's got a process and a calculator. Uh, Tan Ho, he has a few questions that he wanted to throw out, and I they, they work really good if I jum, jumble them together here. So uh, the first one is, what is your earliest fantasy football memory? Oh, boy. You know what's funny is uh, I got asked something similar like this not too long ago. So I, way back, like when I first started fantasy, I will admit it, I was a homer back then, very, very young, like going on public leagues, just doing redraft um, for a while because uh, it, most girls were not showing up to school in a Plaxico Burra's jersey and uh, not understanding why other people weren't reciprocating that. But, you know, my first <laughs> draft ever, I drafted Eli Manning with my first pick. Uh, and it was, ser- I was so happy for myself. Like, I remember that moment, like having, and so, you know, back then and your first time doing it, you don't realize that sometimes you can't just draft players from your team but I must have had like three or four Giants players because my fandom took over (laughs) oh that's awesome that is that's a good memory uh my mine is brutal that there was a rules dispute and I wasn't awarded Ruben drones on a waiver claim and it cost me making the playoffs in my first year so I have a I have a brutal memory but then I have got a sweet one where I drafted as my uh first pick of the second round Jordy Nelson during yes! the game that he got injured. Oh. And I won the I won the league that year. So it's a good memory in that everyone was trolling me because we're in the, like the fifth round and everyone's talking about how my second round pick is already gone. <laughs> you That's know? crazy. <laughs> I also, to be, I, I want to say, pay some respect to Jordy Nelson because I loved watching him play. I really did uh, for years. Him with Aaron Rodgers, I thought it was an awesome connection there. Yeah, he did community stuff with uh, with a kid that I had um, been friends with too. So he's he's an awesome dude all around. Um, one, let's see, he had two other ones in there that I want to get to, and then we'll move on. Um, so you're now a fantasy football creator and analyst. So you see a lot of stuff that's out there. What do you think people spend too much time doing in the industry? They spend too much time trying to be like everyone else and to one-up each other's content instead of focusing on themselves and being genuine and authentic. Uh, You know, it takes, uh, everyone can put out an article or a video that tells you who the top five tight end or uh, break out this, break out that. But to really uh, stay true to yourself, stay true to your instincts and what you've read and what you've done research on is very rare. I think that people focus too much on uh, the content itself instead of engaging also with the, with the consumer. Uh, And it's very easy to make, uh, you know, content not digestible. And I, that was a big thing coming into this is, you know, football should be inviting to everyone. You know, your average person just plays redraft they're in an office league, you know, they want to just get to the facts, uh, relate to the person uh, and come back for more, you know, the next week. So I think a lot of times people, I don't want to say take it too seriously because there's obviously people that love the numbers. Um, I've never been a huge number 
and I'm more film. I like to support my film with analytics. I uh, would never call myself an analyst, but uh, I think part of it is, it, you know, once you stop having fun, that's a problem. You should, this should always be fun. I, I love that. I love that. I think that, you know, that's what's kind of inspired this discord too, is a lot of people just want to chat and have fun with it and, you know, goof around. Um, because I think honestly, once it becomes a job, then it's not, it's not fun. If you're just being able to be on brand and have fun though, that's when it's like the dream. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. And I, that's like my best advice, you know, is like, you, the second you stop having fun or you're not having fun or uh, Twitter becomes stressful or writing articles becomes stressful, something is wrong. Like you need to reevaluate it because football should be, you know, we started most of us because we love football. We love the sport. Uh, we're fans of a certain team. So you should always be having fun. The second you're not having fun, you need to reevaluate. Why am I not having fun? Uh, you know, do I not like writing articles? That's something that I didn't like when I started uh, at FTN. I asked for my first contract, like, I don't want articles involved. Like, I don't want that on me. I like video stuff. That's it. That's who I am. Um, so you just have to find what works for you. Uh, forget the consumer. Like, you should be doing content you love because that comes out in your work. See, I think that's that's great because I think you produce... Hi. My dog wants to, she agrees with me, apparently. Yes, yeah. You produce <laughs> media in the way that is comfortable for you and it's, it ends up better. Um, right. Do you have any thoughts on how the fantasy football industry could be more inclusive and welcoming uh, of, of women, of, of people of color, of, of, I guess you could say, the non-typical fantasy football player at this point? Sure. So the easiest, like... The whole thing is, at the end of the day, uh, it doesn't matter what gender you are, what color your skin is, like, neither of those factors uh, contribute to uh, your knowledge of football. They, you know, we, at the end of the day, all of our brains look the same. Doesn't matter. That's where you get your football knowledge from. Um, and it's something that, especially coming out of a pandemic, we should be very inviting to because sports what things that did you know get along over one one confiding thing um and i think a lot of it comes down to uh you know a lot of us growing up um we were raised a certain way and that's okay and i don't always blame people for their mindset because that's all they knew for a while but when you realize that uh you're passing judgment even if it's subconsciously it's just taking a step back uh, and trying to alter your mindset. Why am I thinking that way? How can I be more inclusive? Why am I uh, judging that take automatically because that person is a female or that person uh, has a different skin color than me? So a lot of it is really the way we were raised. And, and that's where sometimes uh, I take a step back because you, you have to be forgiving a little bit to the fact where we're all humans uh, and you don't know a lot. You're Most of us are living with our parents for 18 years and that's all we knew. So it's being open and being accepting. And then when you also feel yourself going into that uh, judgmental place that all of us do, no matter what anyone says, it happens to all of us, we're human beings, it's just part of life, um, is being able to take a step back and uh, change your mindset. Yeah, that's really helpful. I think, uh, you know, a lot of people, 
would benefit from judging the take rather than observing first who's making the take. You know, if you could, re you know, reverse engineer that. Obviously, I think sometimes people see somebody that looks like Nate Silver, for example, right? Brilliant guy. But sometimes just how he looks automatically makes his opinion seem credible. And the opposite can happen. And uh, I think the sooner we get over that, the better. Right, for sure. And I think, you know, at, at the end of the day, uh, and this was always part of it too, is like, I tried to make my content, uh, you know, as inviting as possible. Uh, I could uh, shoot the shit all day and go numbers neck to neck with you. I want females to want to be involved and not be nervous because they don't understand every play or uh, every single number that happens. It, it just should be inviting and something that everyone can enjoy because it's something that I was raised on and it was such a big part of my life and I didn't realize that it was such, it was for boys and, you know, pink is for girls. So uh, I think just changing your mindset and being very open. So not like that guy on Twitter that said something about vulgar women and saying certain words means you should just like cross them off your list. <laughs> so funny. I was cracking up. Like people are so narrow minded. This is not, you know, changed my love. Uh, it's time to move forward and, uh, it, you know, say vagina and dick is like totally not a big deal. Uh, everyone's being, I've definitely toned my mouth out a little bit, but uh, passing judgment over silly things like that is crazy to me. Yeah, I thought that was funny. There's definitely nothing wrong with saying having a introduce your parents strategy if you want to, like, make sure your parents don't freak out. That's one thing, sure, depending on that. But yeah, anyway, I, I still, that, that was a funny tweet, little uh, chain that a bunch of people were posting on, so I had to bring it in. People somewhere. are crazy on Twitter. That's another thing is like, you have to out because crap, they're crazy. Yeah, no. Um, so we're going to move on to some Giants uh, related questions. And this first one is not specifically Giants related because I, uh, anticipated your answer, I decided to throw it in here. So one of our moderators, and he's also a Scott Fishbowl 11 invitee, uh, Nick, yeah. he asks, uh, what is one injury that people care way too much about this off season? <laughs> um, ACLs, can I do a general statement? You know, injuries in general, right? Like, uh, modern medicine has, taken so many advancements we've seen so many players people forget about right like tom brady gronk uh Wentz, all these guys have had injuries uh adrian peterson is one of the best stories uh when it comes to a comeback from an injury you know really have scared people uh but the ACL is not scary especially now you know uh as long as that player hasn't had significant history people don't realize that early had really significant meniscus damage when the meniscus is damaged you're screwed for arthritis like you might as well just like hand over a hall pass for a direct uh, shoot to arthritis. So um, I I think that it gets misconstrued, especially in fantasy players, right? Like we get pissed off because you rely on these players. Trust me. Uh, I had redraft already. Uh, Dak, Kittle, Holiday, Julio, Mixon, who was the other one I had? So like, I get it. I, I get the frustration. It's very easy to get frustrated, but 
uh, to forget how good players like Saquon Barkley is, to forget how Burrow played at the beginning, um, even, you know, players like Cortland Sutton, these are guys that can very easily, without issue, come back and, and shock everyone. So I understand uh, being skeptical um, and maybe in redraft more than Dynasty, but uh, injuries are very uh, misleading, I think, uh, which is partly the medical community's fault for not making it, um, you know, taking the jargon out of it and making it easier to understand. Sure. Yeah, that ACL term still like scares a lot of people who maybe remembered a friend who was on the basketball team and he was never <laughs> the same after. But, you know, this is a decade ago or 15 years ago. Um, right. Maybe a flip side question, and I'm going to point this one a little bit. Um, a lot of people have taken a very much like, oh, in, like, like you're saying, they're also applying it a little bit more broadly, like saying, hey, I'm not even worried about Marlon Mack, and he's going to come back and take a lot of snaps, actually, because of how good he was before the Achilles. On that note, are there some injuries that people, and you mentioned with the girly injury, are there some injuries that people don't really factor in enough, like it's a big deal, actually, injury? Yeah, so uh, kind of what I said before, the meniscus is always something that I look into, uh, how serious was the involvement there. Uh, it, you know, it's very hard uh, to get a lot of information out of uh, these teams, right? They keep a lot of things under wraps, especially these, uh, you know, these elite players, right? It's very hard to get a lot of information. One of the injuries that's interesting uh, that I've been reading a lot about lately is turf toe. You know, it's something we see plague a lot of these players. Uh, and it's interesting to see, you know, you see Patrick Mahomes getting surgery. That was a decision that was made within like 48 hours. Uh, but only 12.8% of cases need correction. And then you see someone like Gibson who mentions, you know, the toe isn't. So uh, I think turf toe is something that uh, can really bother players. I've seen the AC joint uh, also, you know, the shoulder injuries can be something, especially when you're getting tackled a lot. Uh, it's a very, it can be very reoccurring. So uh, it kind of depends on the player too. There's a lot of factors that go into it, you know, athleticism, uh, with ACLs, you know, a lot of the research, it's like there's five parameters, uh, a good head coach, a solid backup, uh, athleticism, uh, mentality goes. So there's a lot of things that go into it. And a lot of it is player dependent. Uh, so that plays a huge factor. I appreciate that. That's a lot of uh, info. Now on the meniscus, because I want to touch on that, even though we didn't have a question. Um, I seem to remember in the back of my head from like some sports doctor once, what's the main thing you're really looking for if you can find out? Is it like if they have to like surgically remove certain things? Is that what you're really looking for? Because then it's like bone on bone and arthritis in the future and that kind of stuff. Yeah, so it's funny. My dad and I were just talking about this at dinner. And um, basically, uh, you know, the meniscus, the second that that starts getting impact, you're changing the surface area, at least arthritis, the whole thing. Um, I won't go on about like all the nonsense, but uh, some players have meniscectomies, so they can have a partial menis uh, meniscectomy. They can have a, a complete meniscectomy. It kind of depends. And sometimes you see cases, you know, like Adrian Peterson, uh, he was great, right? He had uh, his injury in 
2011, came back the 2012 season, as well as 2013, to put up two career-high seasons, broke tons of records, uh, but later on in his career actually needed to have his meniscus addressed. Um, I wonder, too, someone that people forget about, Tom Brady actually had knee surgery this offseason on that left knee that had the ACL tear. So I'm wondering if there's any menisc you know, meniscus involvement there. But, you know, they, the meniscus has a lot of impact on arthritis, not entirely. I mean, anytime you're touching the knee, you're putting a player at risk. Uh, not even just a player, right? Just your standard person. Uh, the knee is very complicated. It's a pain in the butt. Uh, we all hate hearing a knee injury, whether it's basketball, it doesn't matter. Um, so the, the meniscus is one of the things that I look for with the research that I have been doing. Um, and yeah. Yeah. As somebody who played catcher a little bit in baseball, I just hated, hated my own knees. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, I even hurt my knee this past, I, my dog was, you know, a dog started trying to attack my dog. So I got in the way and you know, I, I, hurt one of the ligaments in my knee and holy crap it hurts so I can't even imagine what these guys go through but they're also they're in the NFL this is what people don't realize right like they're paying an exorbitant amount of money for these guys to have the best rehab the best doctors there's no reason why someone in 2021 uh that puts in the work can't come back uh even better than before love it love it so this that partially answers the question, but I'm just going to look at uh, touching on Saquon a little bit more or say quads. Um, what do you look at for his future? Do you have any concerns short term or maybe long term? What's your feel on his recovery and, and, and where he should be valued uh, both in redraft and in dynasty? So saying I have always been high in Saquon. I like that they did a prehab before. It really was able to reduce a lot of the inflammation um, and injury that was part of his MCL. And usually we see players that do do a prehab. You know, people wondered, why did he wait so long to get the it's it's all it was all part of the treatment plan. You know, it wasn't because his injury was worse and so it just is because that was the plan that they put ahead and uh, prehab actually uh, I don't have the number in front of me. You know, I've had a couple claws tonight, but it, it puts them at an advantage at the end of the day doing that prehab. So I'm not worried about Saquon. Here's my thing with Saquon. So as far as dynasty goes, he's a steal right now. He, his value has dropped so low. It's unbelievable. Um, I, I got him in one league at, at, you know, the 201, which is crazy to me. I mean, people have obviously forgotten how talented he is. He, he broke uh, – records his first year you know he came back his you know his second year he did miss three games because that high ankle sprain but he came back in record timing again still put up huge numbers and we're talking about two really for lack of a better term shitty giants team like the team that he is coming back to is huge uh him and daniel jones have only started uh, of daniel jones's starts only 11 of them have been with Saquon. So uh, out of 26, he's played 27, but out of the 26, they've only started 11 games together. No one has seen anything yet, okay? Uh, but with redraft, I can understand uh, the concern a little bit because they will probably ease him in. Um, but again, it's Saquon, right? So what happens, you know, you fade him and then week four, he just goes back to Saquon and maybe you're kicking yourself. But I think I'm more likely to uh, take someone ahead of Saquon and redraft than I am 
uh, in Dynasty because in Dynasty it's it's great. Even if he has a good year, he's he's bound to have great years to come. Yeah, and I see people that are talking about sending Jonathan Taylor, who I love. He's my boy because I'm Wisconsin. Remember, huge. Uh, I'm a huge fan of him. But if they're getting Saquon Plus for Taylor, it's like, whoa, you know, like if you own Saquon, like you you've got to at least give him a shot to not be that much of a value loss where you're paying Saquon plus for Taylor, you know? Oh, absolutely. And I saw a crazy thread the other day of like what people were trading. I mean, people are giving up Russell Gage for Saquon. Like you guys are crazy. I mean, you're just totally ignoring the fact that he's, you know, we talk about Kyle Pitts, you know, you talk about guys like Justin Fields, you talk about, you know, Devonte Smith. These are it's called it's just a different layer of talent. Uh, you can't compare them to other people. Saquon is a generational talent. He just you you only saw so much of him, uh, and people think he was injury prone. What he played thirteen games. He came back in record speed because of a high ankle sprain and played a full sixteen. His first year breaking you know offensive rookie. Everything that he did. So. Uh, I think it's easy to forget about players we haven't seen them as well, which is fair. I got it. It's cool. But you got to give the kid credit. He's one of my favorite college athletes I've ever watched, too. So it was exciting to see him come to my team, whether that was a good pick or not. Well, you know, and I'll I'll pause for a second. You mentioned Kyle Pitts. I'm just going to say we probably shouldn't start talking about Kyle Pitts because then we'll just have to talk about him until the time is up. Um, So (laughs) another Giants question. We have a few more, and then we'll kind of move into some general fantasy um, how do you feel about the Giants wide receiver room? And who do you think is the best value for the price in that room? So this is hard. Um, torn. So I think the New York Giants will do well. I think they will be successful this year. You know, a lot of people forget they did win six games. And, you know, there was like four games there they lost by six points total. So um, it, it, they were not by any means a horrible team. You know, there was a lot of failures. There's a lot of things to add into it. Uh, I don't know that I love the Giants for fantasy at all. Uh, there's a, there's probably about three, four players I will make a true argument for. Uh, Daniel Jones is one of them. Uh, everyone that thinks I'm all in on Daniel Jones, I did not draft him last year. I was not in on him. I think it was foolish to draft him last year. There was no reason for him to succeed, and then you take Saquon out and forget about it. Um, the other person is Saquon. And then, uh, you know, it's interesting. Ingram will probably do better this year because he'll have a decrease in targets and then everyone will think he's back. But, uh, you know, and I know you asked about wide receivers. I, I struggle a little bit here because, you know, I would love, I think Shepard still is going to be relevant as everyone likes to think he will not. He's coming off of one of his better seasons. He's not a wide receiver one. The Giants have tried to, to treat him like so. This will be his first year really not being the wide receiver one, which he shouldn't be. He will never be that. He's wide receiver two. Um, but, you know, I have to see Galladay in the system. I was never super high on Galladay coming over here. I'm very thrilled because, you know, uh, talk about contested catches, talk about uh, amplifying Daniel Jones's fantastic ability, uh, you know, being the best deep ball passer in the league. So, I'm a higher probably on Galladay being, you know, oh God, in Dynasty than I am in Redraft. He's falling late, though, so his value is pretty good right now. 
Tony is a great dart, is a great dart throw. Um, I'm totally out on Slayton. I think that Slayton going before Shepard is low-key disgraceful. And I think Rudolph is going to be a waiver king this year. So I have a question. Does John Ross even make the team? I think he will. So it'll be interesting to see him in, you know, and that's partly why I'm torn on this Giants offense, right? Like you have these main characters like Daniel Jones and Saquon, but explain to me how this team with all these weapons now, uh, you know, John Ross could just be a guy that comes in for one touchdown a game, which takes away targets from everyone else. Then you have uh, Rudolph getting, uh, you know, the red zone targets. Then Galladay has his part. Then you have Tony to do his part. People forget that Pettis is still there, right? Uh, you know, we still have Shepard and Slayton. So there's a lot of pieces here uh, to uh, participate in this pie here. <laughs> yeah. I think you know, something you mentioned that I thought would be the potential to have something there is, you know, with, with Jones being such a good deep ball passer, that Ross might actually have mm-hmm. a chance to just have the occasional best ball value, like yeah. a game where maybe the the secondary is not good at the surprise deep balls and Ross goes for like two for 90 and two touchdowns or something. Like, I think Ross has that. I don't think he's really going to have the targets or anything, but he might be a sneaky free, like he'll, he'll go undrafted. So a sneaky free best ball type of grab. So for sure. And I think the one thing that you can count on with the Giants is, Listen, with or without Jason Garrett, they're going to get creative next year. Uh, There's too many factors uh, playing a part. And actually, you asked me earlier what one of my takes was that everyone hated. And, you know, maybe not hate is a strong word, but uh, was that I think that Ross could very easily be set up for a Cinderella story. This is before we took on Galladay. Cool. Got it. Awesome. Um, But Ross being able to not take on a big workload is almost better. It's scary to people, but in a best ball situation, you know, go Giants galore. Like the only person I would maybe not include in that is Slayton. I'm pretty low on him this year. uh, And I adore him as a locker room guy, but you know, they have some guys, even Tony, Tony and Ross. So you can get them so late and, and the ceiling there is very, very high. Love it. So I'm going to ask maybe a quick follow-up on Jones and Tony here. Is this Daniel Jones make or break year? Interesting. This is what everyone forgets. So I knew we were drafting Daniel Jones. The, the, this is what the Giants do. It's the Giants organization. We will never, ever, ever, ever. Like, I mean, ever. It doesn't matter. Uh, we will never have Patrick Mahomes. We're never going to have Dak Prescott. Uh, we're never going to have Aaron Rodgers. It's not the, it's not the culture. It's not, uh, it, it's just not the franchise that's getting it. Uh, if Daniel Jones wins, what, seven games instead of six, he's not going anywhere. Uh, if he does somehow, which I don't know how it's even possible, you Kind, you essentially strengthen the O-line by just taking away, you know, Cam Fleming, who is probably the most atrocious uh, offensive lineman in the entire league. You know, you have Will Hernandez um, mature into his role. Nick Gates, a lot of people don't realize that was his first time playing center, you know. So his second year playing center, you've got two, uh, you know, last year rookie guys, Andrew Thomas, who played 
played on a broken foot from like week three on. Matt Pert, who should have played. So there's there's room to grow there with the O-line. They don't need to be good. They need to be functional. Uh, you stop passing the ball to Ingram and Slayton, who lost 46 points for the team. You give him actual weapons, a real wide receiver one. He's never had a wide receiver one. And you bring back Saquon. There's no reason this kid can't do better. So it would be hard for me to believe uh, that he ends up going anywhere unless he totally cracks the bed. Um, but you know what? Even if he does, and which is why I'm going to root for him uh, because I see the talent that's there. I've watched the film. He's got the weapons now. Um, I'm going to root for him because at the end of the day, we have draft capital out the ass, right? You know, we've got yeah. two firsts, two thirds, two fourths. Uh, the things that could happen there, are, they could get another quarterback. I just, it's not the direction I see the uh, Giants going, um, unless he really doesn't do well. Like, if he wins six games, yeah, we're probably looking at a new guy. But, hey, they've got the capital to do it. So, 10 picks next year? That's pretty. Yeah. No, that's that's the kind of ammo you want to have to be able to build around a guy. Um, and if he doesn't, you've got you've got picks. If, like you said, if he craps the bed, you've got picks. Um, do you think they could be better than people think? Uh, I think one of the things people are maybe sleeping on is that I think their defense is going to be at least average, probably a little bit better than average. And then if you've got all these offensive pieces coming together, is eight and eight crazy? Is pulling off that division's not great? Is pulling off the division at eight and eight like completely un- impossible? No, I don't think it is. So last year, I thought we'd win five games. We won six. Uh, So this year, I think that we should win eight games. If we win nine, great. Uh, A lot of fans are very, you know, everyone's in a rush. You know, that's not how you rebuild. Um, I think Joe Judge is a fantastic coach. I think he came in and said, I don't, I really don't give a crap what the, what the standings are at the end of this, you know, we're, we're fixing the team. And I think he's done just that. The fact that he has players that want to come and play for the team. Uh, a lot of people forget too, that secondary is looking pretty good over there. People forget about Xavier McKinney, who's coming back. Um, you know, I think that the defense, depending where you look, is, so, you know, they finished in the top 10, I, I, depending on the stats that you look at, it's fine. Um, but they have a lot of weapons on that defense. So I, I could very much see this team having the defense at least take them somewhere. But if you're going to be on the, on the field a lot as offense, you got to pull it off. So I don't think eight is out of the question by any means. There's no reason this team looking at the schedule, you know, a lot depends, you know, the NFC East is kind of a crapshoot too, as well. There's still a lot of questions, but a lot of talent over there. I don't think people are going to be saying the NFC least anymore. Good, good. I, I love to hear it. Um, I think, I think, you know, with uh, Washington, they're probably going to be better because they actually have a quarterback. Um, yeah. Than they were last year you've got, the, I, the Eagles, I'm not sure. <laughs> they could actually still be a train wreck. But the other teams, I think, and and I think you and I are both okay with the Eagles being a train wreck. At least I'm I'm very anti-Eagles. <laughs> yeah, I think that they, you know, this is what it comes down to. 
Washington, I think, did not make the smart decision bringing on Fitz. I feel very strongly about this. I don't know why you have a Super Bowl caliber team and you don't go and get your guy. That is so foolish to me to bring on someone like Fitz who hasn't started, you know, a full season, four quarter since like 2016 or whatever it is. That to me is crazy because they've got all the talent in the world. Then you have the Cowboys who have, you know, talent out the ass as far as offense goes. Their defense not sold. Mike McCarthy, not the brightest tool in the shed, right? As you know yourself. Uh, you know, and then you, who, who do we have left? The Eagles here, who have debatably the most uh, immature, uh, it's the best word, young is a better word, I guess, uh, coaching staff. You've got an unproven Jalen Hurts. I don't care what Konami code says. He's played four games. Um, and you've also got some good talent there, but you have an aging roster. So their defense will, they're not going to last long. They're kind of like the Falcons in the sense where their offense looks nice. What do you do? So the NFC East is a total crapshoot. Anyone could really win it over there. And uh, no team is a repeat win since like 2004 when the Eagles did it. So it, Washington's already at bad odds. Sure. Yep. They can maybe call it a mulligan and say, we weren't trying to win the division. Yeah, um, exactly. Um, so last question on the Giants, then we'll move to some general fantasy. Uh, we have a few of those two. Um, this one is because we know you love Eli. How do you think uh, he's going to fare in his new role, the, the fan engagement role? Yeah, I think it's awesome. You know, there was a lot of talk of him coming in. I think a big uh, thing with Daniel Jones, too, is like, he was, you you know, Pat Shermer, someone, you know, I wish we kept him as the offensive coordinator instead of bringing in, you know, Jason Garrett, who is the bane of my freaking existence. But another thing that people forget about is he didn't have Eli uh, this year and huge support to him. You know, uh, they linked back years and years ago to their families. And uh, I think having Eli even back in the building is going to be really big Daniel you know they're very similar people people forget this like they're the same person it's very funny to see them and uh see Daniel Jones and see him get the crap that he's getting because people forget Eli got torn apart I mean uh, we're talking they used to chant uh I wish you were Peyton they had signs that uh, we wanted to big test you're not a man like crazy New York's a hard place to but I think even having him back, uh, he comes back to culture and coaching, which is something I, you know, I've emphasized. Judge walked through the door, and it seems confusing, but it's like teams. You know, you look at the Dolphins, you look at the Bills. Those are teams that have rebuilt very beautifully. Uh, they have done all the necessary steps to rebuild the want to play there and uh they've they've rebuilt something that uh the fans can be happy for so i think eli brings that back you know he's gave most of us very uh, great memories but him and daniel were, were close his uh rookie year so i think having him in the building is a huge advantage love it love it i i have to say the when people talk about culture and People want to play there. Right now, I'm getting PTSD vibes with Aaron Rodgers. So we're not going to talk about that. We're not going to. <laughs> um, so moving on to general fantasy, um, who are your top buy low and top sell high play, uh, high players for this offseason? I think you might have mentioned one of those 
sell high guys with your DK sell, but who do you got for buy low and sell high? Uh, so let's see. So DK is definitely one. I think that that's a great person right now to get rid of. Uh, not rid of, you know, these words are so a little bit harsh here. I think that uh, looking at tight ends, it's an interesting scenario, right? The window to sell uh, Kelsey as high as possible has probably passed. But again, I don't know that you're getting, uh, this is Dynasty, obviously, but I don't know that you're going to, every year that you wait, it's just going to keep declining. So Kelsey and Kittle too, especially if you can, sneak something out you know like waller or if you have pits in the situation everyone knows it does follow me i tend to be a tight end hoarder and i use that to my uh complete advantage uh another person you know if you don't already have him Tannehill, i'm i'm all in on uh there's no reason that he can't do fantastic unfortunately his value has definitely uh raised by now but some buy lows Janu smith please, you know, uh, the Patriots are gonna, are gonna run a 12 personnel. Uh, Bill Belichick has historically loved tight ends. He adores it. It's his thing. Uh, you know, you watch the two bills on ESPN and it, the amount of times the dude mentions tight ends is hilarious, but, uh, I, I think John Smith is going to be the main guy over there. They really don't have many options as far as, you know, uh, with receivers go. So, I think that he is someone, especially people are quite low on, uh, that you can get. Another guy that is, you know, sneaking under the radar here is uh, Russell Gage. I do will step very beautifully into the wide receiver two role. People think because Pitts is there, he's not going to get targets. Not true. Uh, Matt Ryan is uh, one of the more consistent fantasy quarterbacks that we've had for a couple of years. And I think, you know, exactly what you're going to get out of him, where the targets are going to get dispersed. Um, to, I mean, who else? There's so many guys right now. Phelan is another one you can get pretty cheap, probably sneak him into some deals. He's has so much upside there. Um, a lot of these tight ends really, um, who else? Oh God. Daniel Jones, basically free. Like so much rushing upside, you know, you talk about a dual threat quarterback. There's a lot there. Yeah. I like, I like Daniel Jones, especially um, I think in a lot of leagues, they're looking at him as make or break. And as a result, he's being sold as if it's like a 50% chance that he could be worthless in a couple of years. And I think, I think that's overselling. I mean, there is, there is a chance, but I think it's more like, like a, 15% chance that he's going to, you know, crater. Right. I just don't see how, you know, there's some guys that I, uh, you're taking a bigger risk on. I think he's, there's no reason with all the things that have improved that he doesn't do well. And I mean, I took him, uh, you know, probably three weeks ago in the 17th round of a startup. Like, come on, you guys are now, and now everyone's being ridiculous, you know, like, it's okay to not value someone, but to like completely disregard the value that is there is absurd. Uh, Cause at some point you have to start uh, taking advantage of the potential ceiling that is there. And he put up some very good numbers. Some of the weeks, you know, at least over half of the weeks that he has, he did play last season were like 16 plus. And then of those, a lot of them were 20 plus. And then talking about his rookie year, we're talking 35 plus weeks. Yeah, no, I, 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 I'm totally on with, with him being underrated. Um, 
So on the dynasty mindset again, 2020 had tons and tons and tons of rookies, and there were some disappointments. Out of the disappointments, who would you be in on buying? Like, so a sophomore, if you will, in the NFL, who would you be in on buying? That was a disappointment so far. Oh, boy. Who's been a disappointment? Oh, my goodness. I'm trying to think. You have to throw some names at me. Yeah. Um, so, like, Mugs Edwards would be someone's Rager, mm-hmm. uh, maybe Moss for people. Yeah, no, Moss is definitely one. That's a good one, actually. That's exactly where my mind should have taken me, you know, uh, and I know Connor is an example of that, but, you know, a lot of people get down on some of these. Situation plays a pretty big factor. Uh, And also, you know, no one saw enough of Moss for everyone to decide that he stinks. Uh, He he was a fantastic college uh, RB, and I think that we're going to see – a Buffalo Bills system that doesn't run the ball a lot, doesn't really have a running game. There's no reason he can't come back and be a successful running back. Moss is definitely someone that I've been very high on uh, buying a lot of him. Uh, Pollard is another one. Connor, there's a lot of these running backs in general that everyone is totally out on, and I'm not fully buying into that. Love it. Love it. Um, So, you're newer to Dynasty. That's a fair statement, right? Yes, I am. Definitely, okay. like, my redraft is yeah, – I probably have only been playing Dynasty about three years. So, with Dynasty, what's your process or who are your go-tos when you're scouting college players uh, to try to prepare for, like, a rookie draft? Like, as far as this year or, like, in general? Just where have you arrived at now? So, like, what, what are your main, mm-hmm. like – prep work for that so a lot of it really especially this year you know i think the combine is kind of a crapshoot i think we've seen someone like john ross uh totally uh crap crap the bed when it comes to the numbers that he put up and being the fastest person to ever run the you know the 40 there but a lot of it comes down to film and what can a player do when they actually get to the league and especially um, what's their football IQ and, you know, guys like, for example, Devontae Smith, my new thing is on film, like what's that person's uh, body control and balance level, right? So are they able to complete, like, it doesn't matter who touches them. They're somehow able to break a tackle or to get out of the way or to intuitively move their body uh, in a situation where it doesn't matter who touches them. So but that's players like Devontae Smith, players like Kadarius Tony, you know, players that have this exceeding level of uh, shiftiness that not everyone has. Uh, also, when it comes to quarterback, I think a big thing is to, um, you know, not every quarterback is ready to go right to the NFL. I think, you know, uh, you know, Lance is probably the most athletic, uh, talented rookie, uh, probably slightly ahead of fields, but that's a, but, uh, he has a little bit bigger of a learning curve. So do you take a chance on someone that's not going to necessarily provide for you right away? Like Josh Allen didn't, but is he going to give you more, more years to come? So you have to be ready to take the risk on some guys. And also, what situation are they going into? Uh, Wilson already, to me, was a weaker rookie. I hate what he's walking into. 
Uh, so I've been out on Wilson. Wilson, best ball, cool, love it, great. Uh, but otherwise, I, I, I don't have Wilson because I don't like what he's walking into. That makes a lot of sense. I'm, I am not on uh, the Wilson ship either. Uh, you, you could totally prove me wrong. It's just, it's a gamble that at the price he's going, I just, I would need him to fall a little lower. That's just, so I don't know. And maybe, maybe I would just keep saying that. I don't know if you've ever been like that with players where it's like, I don't hate them, but I'd need them to fall a little lower. They'll never fall. They'll never fall as low as you need them yeah, to fall. Yeah, I know? can't, like, I can't get him right there, you know? Uh, and I, I felt that way about a couple guys even like trevor lawrence is one that i can think of um he's someone i just traded for very recently uh but i think at the same time i'm if where i still am okay quarterback wise i'd rather go and get myself a lance or a field who i think uh i feel more confidently in the future as far as dynasty goes so if you need like another QB in a redraft league, sure. Like Wilson Lawrence, who I know, who you know are getting the reps already. Uh, obviously that's a different story, but as far as dynasty goes, you have to look at the, you know, your team in the future. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. On that quarterback note too, if what's like the stack that you want the most shares of like quarterback wide receiver stack or, or tight end for that matter? as far as all like stacking on one team kind of thing yeah 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 like yeah. Uh, same team um, so i love you know uh, obviously not tight end because i don't even know if we can qualify any of their players but uh i love me a murray hopkins uh you know add rondell in there that you can get very cheap right now fantastic i think murray is getting for some reason a lot of hate and so is hopkins i'm seeing him totally fall in a lot of these drafts. I don't know what that's about. You know, he's proven to be fantastic. Um, I love myself some Arizona Cardinals and who else here? Talk about, you know, and I hate to say it makes me sick, but Dak Prescott, CD Lamb, uh, you get yourself some Jarwin too. That's a nice stack right there because uh, Dak is the only one, I hate, I hate the term on pace, but the Cowboys, you, it's the only team that it's okay. You know, you can't be on pace for 6,700, whatever it was, yards. Even if you take away 2,000 of them, the yards have to go somewhere. So I'm a big fan of C.D. Lamb. Uh, I think Darwin's going to come back and do uh, great. I like what Pollard, his potential is there. So they're another team. I think the offense is fantastic. You know, talk about for a brief moment, because there's this, there's this intersection between player and injury and all that. Uh, as somebody who's highly interested in players and injuries, I mean, wasn't it at least a little feel good about the way the Cowboys actually rallied around Dak? They paid him despite, you know, the injury. To me, and I'm a Packers fan, so I'm definitely no fan of the Cowboys, but there was something that felt at least a little good about what they were doing there. Is that just me? I agree with that my only thing is you know jared jones is a total uh not a nice person uh i think it was the week of uh he, he said like dak will never be a mahomes or an aaron Rodgers or something crazy um and he got injured like that same week so i i am so excited for dak to come out and and just show everyone up and it, you know, he got her obviously playing the game with us. So, uh, and I love Dak. I think Dak is a fantastic uh, quarterback. I'd love to see him on another team, but I, I totally agree with you. 
cool, cool. Um, so we got a last few questions here, just some extra ones that have come in uh, that I want to throw out here. Um, what's the player that, like, if you join more leagues, this is the player you're going to try to get more shares of, like the one that you're always trying to get in whatever league you're in? Yeah, so I think a name, uh, you know, not to repeat myself, but uh, I really am high on C.D. Lamb. I'm I'm very interested in having as much of him as I can as someone that's, you know, I think he's going at his normal, not his normal, because obviously it's not like he's been the lead forever, but I think he's going at, a, you know, a decent value, not uh, anything exorbitant, but uh, and again, another name that I'll repeat, but Johnu Smith, I'm, I am very high on this year. I really see the Patriots moving in a direction where we're going to see a lot of tight end action. And I think he'll be the guy that ends up getting, uh, being the breadwinner there almost. Um, trying to think if I can uh, pull up another name uh, for everyone here. Uh, you know, a sneaky guy talking about a rookie that I'm a huge, huge fan of is uh, Jalen Darden. You know, he is someone that no one really heard of the Bucks is someone that I have been watching film on forever uh, at a North Texas Air school. Uh, the Bucks traded up for him and grew with their drafting process. And I think it speaks uh, volumes on the kid's talent. I think that he couldn't have landed in a better system for his development. So he right now, you can get him in rookie drafts. I mean, I'm talking, I got him in the fourth round, uh, you know, earliest third round. And then I also have picked him up off waivers. So he may not be that relevant for you this year, but moving forward, like I, I really do see this guy. It's someone who I bought multiple signed rookie cards of. I really see him being a guy, speaking of football IQ, shiftiness, all these things that I love to see in these young guys. He has all of it. And uh, I'm very excited to see what he can do in the league. It broke my heart to see him go to Tom Brady. But, you know, going into a system with a wide receiver core, uh, with the head coach that's there, and then being able to train Brady. And, you know, you have Trask over there, which is kind of cool. They came in together. So I'm very interested to see what he does. Oh, I love to hear that because I traded in my rookie draft. I traded Jalen Hurd to a guy who thinks he's still going to get the number three role for 509 to snatch Jalen Darden at 509 in one quarterback. I was so pumped. So I I was like, Oh, if people have not watched, I'm telling you, go watch it. Just his highlights. Like you don't have to watch anything else. The dude is great. He needs uh, some discipline. um, But you know, what a perfect system for him to end up in. It's hilarious because when the draft was going on, which what a fun couple of days it was, uh, everyone knows I was a huge fan of him, been preaching about him for months and months and months. And uh, I know I didn't even expect him to go when he did. And then when the Bucks traded up, when they did, I, I wasn't even at my phone, not expecting, you know, anyone to even touch him or even Trey McKitty is another one that's, you know, those are my, uh, rookies that no one knew much about, but the two of them went very early. So I'm excited to see what both of them do. Awesome. Um, so last few he, uh, here are going to be a bit more personal again. Uh, in your 10 years of fantasy, what would you say is just the best moment, the best moment you ever had? Oh, God, it's a good question. Wow. Um, let's see. I probably want, you know, Saquon's rookie year, 
I definitely want, I think, two leagues, two redraft leagues because of him. Those have to be, you know, anytime you can relate, I think, to your home team, and I'm such a homer, and I know not everyone, you know, has a home team, and a lot of people do it by numbers, but anytime that you can have your team participate in your own success, I think is awesome. Yeah, for sure. I, I'm totally on with that. If it's If you win not just a few leagues, but you win with players that you especially like, when you drafted a team of guys that you were going to cheer for, even if you didn't draft, that always mm-hmm. feels mm-hmm. Um, That's why I always say go with your gums down to it. ADP is tempting, but especially in redraft, man, like uh, just have fun. And, you know, you want to root for the players you believe in. So even if that means going and uh, reaching a little to get the guy that you really believe in, it ends up paying off, you know. Everyone can have their own, you know, systems and algorithms but uh there's nothing better than rooting for the guys that you love yeah i mean i my won three different ships that i that i had very different reactions to i won a ship with uh uh, sean alexander who i loved and i won with chris johnson who i loved but then i won one with a brady welker stack where i hated the patriots (laughs) (laughs) so it didn't feel that great like i had that that 99 yard monday night football touchdown i won a game by a point because of that and i wasn't even that happy about it because as a dolphins fan i'm just like my team just got taken to the woodshed but i did beat the team that i hated the most in that league so i mean it offset it but i totally feel you there you you want to it's like that double it's a double win when it's the guys you like too that's why pitts is like i got pitts um i took him 103 in our rookie i'm i'm a I'm pits till I die. Exactly. So that's for sure. <laughs> exactly. It's what it's all about. You know, I just did a redraft uh, with a couple of bigger names and, uh, you know, I got ballsy with it and I cook Najee Harris at the 109 and I don't care uh, because I personally believe in Najee Harris. I think he's going to be fantastic next year. And, you know, people went on a running back run and I'd rather get the guy that I really believe in. And in those circumstances, I'd rather risk it when it comes down to that uh, than taking someone and being like, oh, whatever, you know? So I'd rather be excited about it. It's cool. So Najee screws me over, he screws me over, but I'm still happy that I did it. You know, I love that. That actually segues into the next question perfectly. What's the biggest miss you've ever had in in fantasy? (laughs) Um, uh, Besides for Evan Ingram screwing me over. Let's (laughs) see. God. That's a good question. Everything uh, is so good except for his hands. Let's see. Who is driving? You know who drives me crazy is MVS on the, the Packers. I try with him and I can't, but probably I'm trying to think of a good name. What happens? You start MVS on his four point winks instead of his 20. Yeah, you know who you know what makes me angry, which is probably probably why I sold him and I will admit to everyone this is Met calf you know he pisses me off because this year he got pig he got figured out by secondaries and it was like the rams washington the cardinals the giants where it's like the dude goes from having 20 plus weeks to then having three points like i need you to figure it out because it's it's too difficult to have you and julio on the same team like you oh. guys are giving me a damn headache you know so uh, but that was also my tragic team. Uh, you know, you hope for the best. I had that one year, drafted Saquon and then Kittle, and then what did I get? They both mm. got hurt. So 
that was that's obviously uh, brutal every single time that that happens. Uh, John Ross was a big miss, obviously. You know, we all had very high expectations for him, and I think that he definitely uh, blew it for a lot of us. Yeah, no, I, I feel my my brother had uh, going into the twenty twenty year, he had Darius Geis and. Uh, and Ooh. Damian Williams before the draft, and he was hoping <laughs> that he'd have his running back situation. Okay. Yeah, oh, tough God, break for no. the bros. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> oh a, fun one, a fun question that I think you'll enjoy. If Steffi Smalls got to make or change or add or destroy one rule in fantasy, so either make one up or destroy one, what do you think you'd do? Have you ever like sat thinking, this would be a great rule, we should... That should be going on. Oof, that's a good one. Can we make everyone okay? So we have a league with a bunch of my friends, like the group I was with when I used to be with join our circle, and it's called the Chaos League. And we each got to pick our own rule um, for you know whatever for the uh, the entire season for the drafting, whatever it was, it didn't matter. So my was had to pick a different position until your roster uh had one of uh, one of each position before you could continue so you had to have a quarterback a running back a wide receiver a tight end it made things so interesting uh because you know you have people like me who start i hoard the crap out of tight ends uh and then i end up uh you know trading them away for king's ransom when i can but a lot of these you know everyone has different tactics where it's like zero rb but then you know depending if you have a certain position like someone like me who always gets the 12th spot i get screwed over sometimes in a lot you know in a lot of these drafts because if i have the 12th spot and everyone makes a running back run or uh, if people are making half a quarterback run, half a running back run. And then all I get to do is take, you know, whoever is there by the time it gets back to me, we're like already starting to approach like what the hell is going on, you know? Sure. So I, I think drafting is the, I would make some kind of uh, drafting rule. I don't know what it would be, uh, but something along those lines. I think I would do something like crazy, like week six is a vampire week where the winning team coach a player. So we have, so in this league, it's like, uh, I forget what it is. So whoever loses, uh, one of the rules is like whoever loses, uh, the winner gets to take, uh, like, I don't know if it's one one player off your, like your starting lineup and one off your bench. And they like replace them, and that the, the rules are insane in this league. Like I don't even know who is going to keep track of it. It's crazy. We also had like you had to have at least two homer picks, so you had to like have two wow. people from your home league. Um, but it's going to get out of control. Uh, you can't start the same rookie every week. Like people came up with crazy stuff. That's I I don't know. The vampire stuff always sounds uh, appealing to me. Have you played in them before? Uh, so the I vampire? did, I did a guillotine league, which is a little, like it's, it's got a similar feel. Not, obviously there's a lot more permanence, if you will, to losing, um, or yeah. being last. Um, but I, I haven't, I, I did watch, uh, Matthew Berry, uh, do one and it, I thought it was great. So I'm definitely going to be trying to get into a vampire league this year for sure. 
Yeah, I want to try both of them out. It seems like something that's uh, fantastic. I think Matthew Barry actually decided one of our rules. I don't remember which one it was, but again, like these rules are out of control. I'm like, guys, I'll play in this league, but there's no way I'm keeping track of this. <laughs> <laughs> so the last question here um, is if you could make only one or two plugs for people that you think are great in the industry but they maybe don't have the following or the respect they deserve like who are the people you would say hey uh dynasty movement discord you should look up these guys or girls or or whatever sure and that's something you know i always make sure you know uh, there's a lot of fall friday um and everything which i think is fantastic but a lot of times it takes away from highlighting people uh that do have smaller accounts so it kind of depends also what you are into so someone that comes to mind is justin hill with football guys um he's at justin hill fbg great guy very on top of his stuff fantastic also a very kind human which i always look for right if you want to have disagreements love it let's you know disagree cool uh but to be respectful when it comes back is not something everyone always uh it does as well with um and then another person that i think of is andrew metcalf he's drew met underscore ff he's with real deal fantasy he was actually the first person and the person that inspired me to do these uh small solo fridays that i've been doing lately uh he is very very knowledgeable someone that i watched from a distance for a little bit we didn't always you know have agreeing uh opinions on things but the way that he delivers his information the way that he's able to present the facts to you is fantastic you know he's able to give both sides where you it makes you actually think and i love that i appreciate another uh you know content creator or person in the space that's able to actually make you rethink, you know, you know, because we all get very tunnel vision. Sure. Uh, it's a very, very easy thing that occurs to all of us. Yeah, you know, you get stuck on a player. That's it. That's it. That's it. Um, but so for someone to actually be able to make you change your mindset is uh, a fantastic thing. I I love that. I think you know that being somebody that can either roll with the punches or even artificially play devil's advocate for you so that you can kind of put up your argument against a steel man instead of a strong man. That is such a good resource. We have, uh, sorry, we have one last question. So we have Scotty mm -hmm. in our discord who is in a sleeper wire charity league with you, I suppose. Oh gosh. And, and he says took Gainwell, it took Gainwell at, at a pick up 511 in a startup. And he wanted you to justify the pick. <laughs> Wait, what happened? Sorry, repeat it. So he said he, the specific question is: Were you being serious when you took Gainwell at pick eleven in the fifth round of our startup, or were you just trolling? Who did you want me to take in the fifth round? There, who's left in the fifth round? What's wrong with that? <laughs> I'm not understanding why that's a bad thing. Uh, I think that he's going to the Eagles to compete with what, right? Like, give me a break. There's no reason why this guy uh, can't end up being, you know, they have an aging team. There's nothing that any of the running backs, I don't care what anyone says, 
I'm not even going to mention his name. I, I don't think anyone there is competing at a level that uh, Gamewell could not enter the question. I think, uh, you know, Memphis, uh, which I believe is where, is that where he went? Right? Yeah. Uh, Memphis has done nothing but produce running backs. Go Google Memphis running backs. Those, there's a huge list of guys that have come out of there. Uh, I have Waller, faith in the Gibson. Memphis system. And in the fifth round, please, that's, that's easy money. Cool, cool. Well, Stephanie, we have definitely taken a bit of your time, but we really appreciate it. You are always, I think, I, I like the energy that you bring to all of your takes, uh, every engagement you have, even if it's not fantasy related. Um, and I think one of the things that you've definitely inspired uh, me for is to to really play off the strengths of whoever you, you're you know, discussing something with. Um, that just makes that person enjoy the conversation more, uh, but it also helps you get the best out of the interaction. So just be, uh, on behalf of the Discord, want to thank you uh, for coming out, and uh, you can trust we're going to be giving you a follow. Again, at Steffi Smalls, triple. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, thank you so much. I appreciate this so much. I apologize for being a little spacey today. Long day, but this was a blast. Any time. Uh, looking forward to interacting with everyone. 